In the fall of 1978, at Ken Gullickson's Vineyard Christian Fellowship Church in Tarzana, California, it would not be uncommon to see famous people worshiping. On an average Sunday, you might see musicians T-Bone Burnett, Stephen Souls, or David Mansfield, actress Mary Alice Artis, and by the end of the year, arguably the most important American artist of his generation, Bob Dylan. I'm Rob Stone, and you are listening to Generous Orthodoxy, my podcast about the messy human intersection of culture, history, religion, and politics. Over the next three episodes, we will talk about one story, a story that ties together every episode of this first season, Bob Dylan's conversion to Christian faith. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a-changing The man we know as Bob Dylan was born Robert Allen Zimmerman in Duluth, Minnesota on May 24, 1941. The child of second-generation immigrants, Russian and Lithuanian Jews. He was raised in Hibbing, Minnesota along the Masabi Iron Range west of Lake Superior. While a student at Hibbing High School, he formed many short-lived bands. Robert attended one year of college at the University of Minnesota before dropping out to move to New York City and pursue a music career. It is at this time that Robert began using the name Bob Dylan. Though anti-Semitism in the United States was not as violent as it had just been in Europe, it was nevertheless common for Jewish performers, actors, and musicians to adopt waspy-sounding stage names. Dylan's new name could be easily explained away as a practical response to this anti-Semitism. Yet, this quote from a 2005 interview with CBS hints that there may have been something more to it. So you didn't see yourself as, as Robert Zimmerman? Not for some reason, you know, I never did. Even before you started performing? No, even then. Some people get born, you know, to the wrong names, wrong parents. I mean, that happens. Tell me how you decided on Bob Dylan. You call yourself what you want to call yourself. This is, this is the land of the free. Within a decade, Bob Dylan would release more than a dozen albums, tour the world multiple times, marry model Sarah Lowndes and have five children, and become perhaps the single most celebrated American artist.
There are no shortage of books, articles, and anthologies written about Bob Dylan. His enigmatic personality, his relationships, his politics, even his faith. Bob had written about the Christian tradition in his music since the late 1960s, but it had always been distant commentary, writing about something that other people believed. Even if it was a fascination, it was little more than that. Then, something happened. Critics and fans wanting to read something more calculating and planned into Dylan's 1978 conversion have pointed to myriad sociological explanations. One explanation, Dylan, ever the student of American music, came to faith as an experiment, an excuse to explore the American tradition of gospel music. Bob, of course, had a long interest in gospel music, going all the way back to his early 1960s relationship with Mavis Staples, a member of the famous gospel group, the Staples Singers. Another explanation, Dylan, like many of his generation, had experienced the letdown of the promise of the 1960s. Civil rights gave way to assassinated leaders like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Robert Kennedy. The hippie push to make love not war had failed to make a difference on the war in Vietnam which ultimately limped to an end rather than any discernible victory. Richard Nixon, elected by a silent majority in 1968, had won a landslide re-election in 1972, all before ultimately leaving the White House in shame by 1974. For all of the things that Dylan's generation had worked toward, it was difficult to tell how much of a difference they had actually made. Yet another explanation, Dylan was simply swept up in the Adventist fervor of evangelicalism that grew in the 1970s. Hal Lindsey's rapture book, The Late Great Planet Earth, was among the decade's greatest selling books. In response to the mistrust of government born out of Watergate, the country turned to a Baptist Sunday school teacher and former peanut farmer, Jimmy Carter, for president. The Jesus Movement, sometimes referred to as the Jesus Freaks in California in the late 1960s, paved the way for churches like Calvary Chapel and the aforementioned Vineyard Fellowship. It is possible that there is not one single or simple explanation. Dylan, like every human being, is not easily pigeonholed into just one idea. As Dylan sings in his most recent album, quoting Walt Whitman, I contain multitudes. Today and tomorrow and yesterday too The flowers are dying Like all things do Follow me close I'm going to Berlin Ali I'll lose my mind If you don't come with me 
I fuss with my hair and I fight blood feuds. I contain multitudes. Got a telltale heart. However, the one thing that music critics, fans, and historians have the hardest time addressing is the personal. Dylan's faith, whatever form it took, was born of the same kinds of desperation that many have experienced. In 1978, Bob Dylan was a mess. His divorce from Sarah Lowndes, the great love of his life, had been finalized, followed by a bitter custody battle for their children. His four-hour-long film, Ronaldo and Clara, shot during the Rolling Thunder Review Tour of 1975, had opened and unceremoniously closed to savage reviews. And his latest album, Street Legal, didn't fare much better. The big band, heavy on horns and background singers, that he had taken on the road for an outing that was often dubbed the Alimony Tour, was being dismissed as a tacky sellout from a once great artist. Dylan was dating band members, singers, and actresses in constant on-again, off-again cycles. He was not happy. He was tired, and he was alone. At the November 17, 1978 concert date in San Diego, an audience member tossed a small silver cross on stage. Dylan put it in his pocket. A few days later, in a hotel room in Tucson, Arizona, he took the cross out. And something happened that Dylan could not explain. Dylan has gone on record saying that late in 1978, he sensed a presence in that hotel room that couldn't have been anybody but Jesus. He said, Jesus put his hand on me. It was a physical thing. I felt it. I felt it all over me. I felt my whole body tremble. The glory of the Lord knocked me down and picked me up. Yes, I owe you some kind of apology. I've escaped death so many times. I know I'm only living.
encouraged by his girlfriend, backup vocalist Mary Alice Ardes, who had recently moved out of Bob's house after her own faith commitment, and colleagues such as T-Bone Burnett, he began attending the Vineyard Fellowship Church. Vineyard pastor Ken Gullickson recalled that pastors Larry Myers and Paul Emmond went over to Bob's house and ministered to him. Bob responded by saying yes, he did in fact want Christ in his life, and he prayed that day and received the Lord. Born again, he underwent a three-month course of Christian study and was reportedly baptized. If you take a moment and consider this story, apart from Dylan's fame, if you imagine him as just another person in your neighborhood, this faith story becomes incredibly common. A relatively ordinary story of desperate circumstances, life change, providential relationships, all leading to a divine moment of openness. The issue is that we don't want Bob Dylan to be ordinary, to be common, to be a human being just like the rest of us. We want heroes. We want people that have all the answers and have it all figured out. In November of 1978, Bob Dylan was out of ideas. He was desperate. And he needed something more than what he could provide. Whatever your thoughts about Dylan, the authenticity or legitimacy of his faith, what is undeniable is that the next three years were among the most fruitful of his long career. Something happened in that Tucson hotel room, and Dylan was never the same. It gets discouraging at times, but I know I make it. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at this three-year period, what we often refer to as Dylan's gospel period, to try to understand what led Dylan to faith, what the faith of a zealot looks like, 
in how Dylan walked away or maybe just walked forward in a new faith. Thanks for being with us this week on Generous Orthodoxy. Generous Orthodoxy is written and produced by me, Rob Stone, in Durham, North Carolina. I was blinded by the devil, born and already ruined. Stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By his grace I have been touched, by his word I have been healed. By his hand I've been delivered, by his spirit I've been sealed. I've been saved by the blood. Right.